0: From the Teaching and Learning Collaborative at the Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts, I'm Josh Luckens, instructional designer and host of the CoLab podcast, where we dive deep into the art and science of teaching and learning. My guest today is Professor Ilias Bati. He is the interim dean of the School of Management at the Wentworth Institute of Technology and has been a beloved professor of construction management at Wentworth for 21 years. As a child in Lahore, Pakistan, he nearly died of typhoid, which he contracted from contaminated drinking water. After training as a civil engineer in Pakistan, he immigrated to the United States and worked in wastewater and watershed management, rising to become the director of the public water supply for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He then served as the Metropolitan District Commissioner under both Democrat and Republican Governors of Massachusetts, helping to manage the Big Dig, the largest infrastructure project in the history of the United States. Ilias Bati, welcome to the CoLab.
1: Well, thank you very much, Josh, for having me. Um, really, I'm um, looking forward to our conversation. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Now, look, tell me a little bit more about what exactly is construction management? Well, construction management is a, is a combination of not only technical skills, but also the ability to manage projects from a financial standpoint, uh, from public outreach, because every construction project is unique. However, they have certain uh, elements that are very common, such as uh, the, uh, the public outreach. I mean, that can be very challenging, and I can speak uh, from my own experience. Uh, the uh, public projects, they tend to be quite challenging. I mean, Big Dig was one example. Whatever you build, it's going to uh, uh, disrupt somebody's life. Uh, it may be for a short time, but it is going to have an impact. And so you have to be uh, uh, prepared to, uh, uh, if not eliminate the impact, uh, mitigate the impact. Did you learn about all of this because you went to school for it
0: or because you just gained this experience through your life, through working?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Josh. Uh, You know, I was trained as a civil engineer. And you don't discuss, you don't get into these things, okay? So most of it came through experience. You had the technical background to deal with the technical issues, but uh, I didn't have experience of uh, of other things that I just mentioned. You know, the public outreach, okay, communications, uh, especially on public projects. You also have to understand the political uh, dimension of it. These projects are very important. Some of those that impact public directly, you know, the uh, the roadways, the bridges, okay, the water supply systems, the wastewater uh, systems, and not too many people want to talk about it because wastewater. Who wants to talk about dirty water? Okay. <laughs> However, they want you to get rid of it, and so you know, during my uh, my uh, uh, tenure, uh, uh, you know, my professional life of uh, almost uh, you know forty years or more, okay, I have gone through there, I have been through that, I have seen. Uh, water supply contamination episodes uh, in this country have participated on uh, uh, national uh, panels on setting standards for drinking water supply, the uh, the quality of our uh, waters like, uh, you know, Charles River and the Ponce River, or Mystic River.
0: You know, I realize that you've mentioned a few things about your role, but I don't have like the full scope. Could you just maybe do an overview of kind of the your the arc of your career and how it began and where you've gone and you know all the different things that you've done
1: uh i came here as a uh, as an immigrant okay um uh, 50 years exactly half a century ago okay uh as a as a young guy in my 20s okay a lot of bushy hair and all that i just wanted to uh, you know learn things and that got me interested Uh, i mean i had a uh degree in civil engineering so started working in the uh, in the boston area firms and I learned uh, you know a lot of skills that i needed and uh, then i uh, entered the uh, state service and they were doing a um, a study on wastewater management in the metropolitan boston area actually it had 92 communities so That was a great exposure for me to know the communities, okay? I had no knowledge. I couldn't tell you where Brockton is, okay? Uh, Actually, uh, I'll just uh, tell you a very quick, short story, if you will. Uh, In my interview as a young kid, I'm sitting there very respectfully uh, before uh, these couple of people who are interviewing me for the job, and they say, how familiar are you with the communities in Massachusetts? Oh, I said, I, I, I know some, I, I look at the maps and I can tell communities. He said, okay, do you know where Brockton is? And that was a question. I said, Brockton is right next to Stoughton. I didn't know how to pronounce Stoughton, okay? <laughs> they, they laughed, okay? They said, well, at least I know exactly where it is, okay? I actually went out with the teams, took samples from all those streams that they, they were feeding the Charles River, Mystic River, uh, neponset river and then started to develop this picture in my mind well this is how the these streams flow this is how the pollution load goes in there that's why they're polluted okay then they discharge into the boston harbor and that treatment facility over there is not really working uh, that well and uh, after that and this is also uh, an uh, advice i give to uh, to immigrants i say you know if you have honorable intentions, you want to learn something, there'll be many people along the way who will help you. And I was that lucky one. I always got help along the way. And as that project was ending, my boss uh, helped me get the uh, position of assistant superintendent uh, of Deer Island Wastewater Treatment Facility, right starting my career at the end of the pipeline, so to speak, okay? That treatment plant was so decrepit. It was so bad. But that was my first step in a management position as assistant superintendent in the Metropolitan District Commission because at that time, MDC had the wastewater uh, part as well. I learned a lot of things there from people who worked there. After that, somebody contacted me, said the director of the uh, water supply division, of which is now DEP, it used to be D-E-Q-E. Okay, it's open. So I went through the interview process, One, two, three. I was appointed as, as director of the Division of Water Supply for the whole state, regulatory authority, and learned a lot about drinking water, Okay, how drinking water affects people's health. And when I was a little kid growing up in, in uh, Lahore, Pakistan, I suffered. I got sick drinking uh, the uh, polluted water, contaminated water, typhoid. I thought, at one time, I thought I was going to die. Okay, it was in, I don't know, third grade or fourth grade. So I had that appreciation, okay? Here, I become the chief regulator for the uh, drinking water supply for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. <laughs> I was uh, there, and then uh, I was sent to, uh, for training at the Kennedy School, and there was somebody with me who was the commissioner of the MDC, okay? He was in my class and uh, you know we chatted and we talked and all that after the, the course was over i got a call from him and he calls me up and he said uh, how about working at the mdc and uh, you know one thing led to another he uh, uh, asked me to head the newly created division of watershed management and the responsibility was to manage the uh, the water system quabun reservoir wachusa reservoir okay and its uh, uh, the other reservoirs in the in, in the boston area and uh, so i accepted that position so i worked there as director of watershed management in the mdc under commissioner bill Geary now I remember learning
0: that in order to make the club and they had to like flood this valley and there's like these towns at the bottom, you could like scuba they dive were four, and visit.
1: four towns, four towns that were submerged and then little villages. So uh, these communities, total communities like 12, but four major towns, they were submerged. And then they were... Uh, those people, they were relocated. The uh, the cemetery was also taken out. They created a new uh, cemetery, uh, Quabbin Historic Cemetery on Route Nine. That was very tough. I, you know, I got to meet with people uh, who lived in that valley, and they were little kids. You know, I was uh, when I was commissioner, I was like a 44, 45 years old, and so I met with people who were in their 80s. And they started telling me the stories in the, in the valley. And their tears were rolling down their, their cheeks. And they say, I was a little kid. And I said, he said, I used to go with my, my father uh, on, a, on a horse. And he said, I miss those days. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. He said, yeah, the state relocated us, but our life has never been the same. You know, so when I used to talk about conserving water, I said, listen to those people. They made sacrifices. They were taken out of there. Okay, so we can the metropolitan in Boston will have a good drinking water supply. There's always this tension in Massachusetts, small state, but the eastern part and the western part. They always thought we were taking, we took away their water.
0: Yeah, that that's that's a, that's a great story though. Just that personal connection with that person and their, yeah, their life and. Yeah.
1: I was, I was just, I was so impressed. And I said, you know, uh, I uh, I patted on, on his back and he gave me a hug. And I said, uh, you know, thank you for your sacrifices. You can understand and appreciate how much valuable your lifestyle was. And then we created this valuable uh, water source for the metropolitan Boston communities, 46 communities here.
0: Wow, that's great. One of the, I think one of your, you know, great, gifts is is just your ability to connect with people and to um you know really not just through charisma but through stories and through empathy and just to really build a a connection that feels makes people feel seen and it feels meaningful it feels like real you know so I have a feeling you impart that to your students especially in the part about you know having to go to the public and deal with the public and communicate with the public and I'm just wondering you know how um how do you do that? You know how how you how you uh, convey this uh, to the next generation
1: of construction managers and leaders. Well, I think uh, you know you actually answered my question. Okay, it is um, you know you share your experiences uh, with, with with your students. Okay, what made you successful? Okay, and uh, if there were failures, what were the reasons for failures? Okay, the success comes with connecting with people who are going to be affected by the project, talking to them, that's how success comes. So uh, it's, you've got to spend some time with them. Again, this uh, goes beyond, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, but understanding their issues, but also being with them, you know, what they're looking for. I mean, I uh, have to admit that drank a lot of cappuccinos in the North End and the beer and all that, but that's part of the, the outreach. If you can't do that, i don't think you are going to be a successful construction manager you really learned a
0: lot of lessons from all your work um, doing construction management and managing these big projects about empathy and communication and i'm curious how you were able to translate those skills and that mindset into your role as a professor
1: well that's exactly that's how I, i really got excited about uh, getting into the teaching profession because there was a wealth of information uh, not it, you don't find it in books um, although some books have been written uh, on those subjects but you have all your own personal experiences that it gives you the opportunity to share those experiences. Uh, and uh, you know one of the things I all uh, I tell our seniors who are graduating that, There are certain formal things to do, you have to do, but don't forget the informal. And they say, okay, what is that informal? It's called MBWA, okay, which means managing by wandering around, okay? You got to go on the job. Don't have a bunker mentality, meaning you are hidden in your office. People don't know you, who you are, okay, because you never step outside your office. Go out. Talk to people. You are going to pick up some really gold nuggets of information. Talk to the people who are actually in mud. They are working. They say, hi, Jack. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? What's going on? Okay. And they'll share with you information. They say, oh, gee, this manager came around. He talked to me. You know, you come back. Not everything is going to be so valuable, but most of it is going to be valuable. You can sift through that and say, well, this is what the people are complaining about. This is what they like. This is what they don't like. So that's people's skills. You develop, you harness people's skills, and that makes you a a, a very successful manager's, manager. So that's what I tell our seniors. And uh, I think our graduates uh, are doing very well. Uh, wherever they work, they do these things greatly. And I also tell, you know, that not everybody uh, is cut out for uh, for public relations and all that. Well, that's fine. Some people would like to work in the design section, uh, develop schedules and all that. But most of them, I see, they have that ability to go out in public, have that interaction. And uh, construction management is a uh, team support, so to speak. You all have to work together. And uh, so... We provide an environment at the uh, Wentworth Institute uh, that promotes uh, collaboration. Right? And also, uh, Josh, that's a part of creating interest uh, among the students when they're listening to you. You give them real, ta- real examples. Why did we do that? Because this was the reason why did we ban the noise creating activities such as jackhammering at midnight because people are sleeping and so you based on that experience okay you convey that information to students students understand it you know i've also learned that sometimes you have tough subjects such as uh, structural analysis or strength of materials involve a lot of formulas, but you gotta tell them why do we need those formulas to uh, to analyze the situation, make it interesting, okay? I do that. Sometimes they poke fun at it. Uh, it catches their imagination. They understand it. We say, well, this is how we put steel in a, in a bridge, okay? This is where the tensile zone is. Uh, why? Because remember that particular bridge, and I can give examples, that's why it collapsed. We had to close it down because they put the steel in the wrong spot, in a wrong place, okay, and that catches their imagination. So they, then you can give them tough problems to deal with. So first, you got to create that interest in learning. Okay, don't tell them. Say hey, this: this topic is going to be boring. Okay, there is no such thing as, as a boring topic. You can take any topic and make it more interesting.
0: That's great. I love that. There's uh, you bring that perspective, uh, mindset that there's no such thing as a boring topic. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, your life has been guided by a lot of that kind of curiosity and quest for for learning. Tell me about that, the
1: role that curiosity played in well, your life. Exactly. That's an excellent uh, point, okay? Curiosity, okay? If you get them interested in a subject, you can see on their faces, Okay, then now they're interested. And so you have a conversation, you know, don't give a one-way lecture. Get them I- involved, okay? It should be participatory. you got to give the confidence to the students that they are capable of doing it. You can do it. You can give them a positive uh, critique. Critique is important, okay? But it shouldn't be negative. It should be positive critique, okay? So look, you have done this part very well. Uh, whether they're writing a paper for you, uh, give them positive uh, critique. Say, now you can really improve it, enhance it, okay? Because it needs certain things. And if you do that, this is fantastic. So be positive. And that positivity comes with the uh, inspirational skills. You got to inspire them. The students get inspired. They'll come and they'll see you. They'll seek you, okay? Uh, they, they will not sit quietly in class. They'll ask questions and you tell them that no question is like they say stupid there is no stupid question okay they're good questions inspire them and uh, and encourage them boost their confidence once that is done that you got the uh, the, uh, the chemistry the dynamics going uh, in terms of enhancing the learning process
0: i'm just curious to to know what your experience was like as a student growing up in pakistan in a different era you know because Oh. Teaching and learning now is transformed oh. so much and oh. bright space and <laughs> progressive and the future oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know
1: but yeah. this was a very traditional time you grew you know yeah sure sure well I, I I tell you I mean uh, you know we were very respectful of our teachers okay very respectful um, but when I went into engineering school uh, in Lahore okay that was a school that the uh, the British built and they taught there and the when they started it, the locals were not allowed, okay? But later on, uh, they also opened it up to a a very exclusive school, Engineering University. Now it's called University of Engineering and Technology, Lahore. We had uh, professors who were from all over the world, okay? I had professors from the United States, from uh, England. England, those professors were left over before India and Pakistan were separated. And we had uh, professors from Russia as well okay, in the geology department. But one story I I tell often to my colleagues and others was that this particular professor that I had, oh boy, okay, uh, there's no way of describing, I use call it was brutal, okay? What he would do is he would give you negative points, okay? Uh, Like uh, minus 10, okay? Uh, and uh, oh man, I mean, that was a yeah, wake up call. So you gotta do much better than that. So you had to come back up to zero to uh, make yourself better, okay? We don't do that here, okay? So sometimes my colleagues will humorously say, you know, I like to do that. I say, no, but, but it was a uh, great learning experience. The, uh, these professors had different perspectives and uh, um, the, uh, the Americans, I mean, I like the American professor. Okay, he had a. Uh, well, I, I just liked his personality. He was much better. He was smiling and talking and all that. Uh, and um, I got good grades from him. And uh, I I I think uh, his uh, uh, demeanor may have inspired me to uh, uh, come to the United States. Okay, and uh, you know, talking to them, they'll say, "Oh, you should go and get your master's in the United States." And uh, uh, there was this time. Um, that the immigration window had been opened for uh, uh, Pakistanis and Indians to uh, immigrate to the United States. The category was scientists and engineers. They had been determined to be in short supply. So under JFK's immigration policy, uh, the, uh, the that immigration window was opened up. So I uh, got on my bike, rode to the uh, Pakistani uh, consulate office in Lahore, filled out my application, I forgot about it, okay? And then a few months later, the letter comes in the mail, say your immigration is a- approved. Okay, I said, oh wow, oh wow. And uh, they say, you know, get your passport and everything ready. So I got my passport and everything. And the other interesting part is at that time in 71, when I arrived at Logan Airport, okay? Uh, I got my green card right at the airport right at the airport because i had brought an envelope that was given to me by the u.s consulate office with a picture and everything and so they're Bing Bing, bing stamped and they gave me say okay uh, and i'm sitting very respectfully this guy uh, immigration officer he says okay young man he said two things you got to do i said sure sir he said uh, you got to go to the uh, social security office get your social security card the second you had to sign for The uh, draft to go to Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Registration. You had to go register yourself. Okay. That was kind of uh, unsettling. Okay. But I had to do that because it was the law. Okay. But I was lucky that I think I may have been a few months older. So I was over that line where you pack out your bags and go to Vietnam. Okay. So I got a uh, designation. It was 1H, which meant. Currently not available for induction. Okay, so uh, but you could be called if there was need. Okay, well then the uh, the war also started to wind down. Okay, and I often uh, uh, joked uh, with my uh, with our previous department chair uh, Scott Sumner because he went to a Vietnam. I said, well, thank you for going in my place. Okay. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So even though you weren't a citizen, they could still send you to
1: the Yeah, because you are a permanent resident holding a green card. So green card holders were, uh, you know, were required to, to uh, file for the, for the registration. You know? Wow. And you could not become get citizenship until you had satisfied this condition. Okay. Yeah. So exactly five years from that date, Uh, I uh, filed my uh, citizenship papers, I became a citizen and I often very proudly say that uh, I'm a uh, proud bicentennial citizen because it was 1976 okay, so my uh, citizenship certificate is also different has a different border and also got my US passport that also says bicentennial year and they uh, let me keep that as a memento That's great. Wow. Yeah. Well, some, so many stories, you know, this is a uh, distinction of old age, nothing else. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: I have this memory from when I was a kid of um, governor bill. Weld giving a press conference in front of the Charles river to say that it was clean. Yeah. yeah. He just took off his suit jacket and just
1: jumped in. Yeah. Do you remember this? Were you there? absolutely you know that's the day i took off okay and he does that <laughs> oh i had a lot
0: of fun with bill Weld. did he plan that did to, the to, to jump in the river or was that just a surprise to everyone
1: oh that was a surprise oh yeah yeah no 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 that was a surprise nobody had expected yeah nobody had expected he just wanted to make a point and he said it's cleaner okay and uh actually uh, some people were not happy that he did that
0: <laughs> Oh, know, why not?
1: because because of the health implications you know here's the governor jumping in there you know it was cleaner but it may not have been totally uh, you know something that you want to jump in but uh, everyone to do
0: maybe you know. yeah
1: yeah 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 that's funny now it sounds
0: like i mean you've spent obviously the vast majority of your life here in in the u.s and in boston but yeah. um I was really struck by that story you told about when you were a child in Pakistan and you you got typhoid or, you know, yes. I mean, just, just um, you really experienced a, 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 grew up in a different world, a different place, a different oh, time. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know,
1: contamination rampant. Uh, you know, uh, the people getting, uh, you know, there used to be community wells, okay? So everybody getting water from the uh, the, uh, the, the the community well. And uh, those wells were not well protected at all. And the uh, contamination will seep through the, uh, the, the soil and contaminate the wells. I mean, we had situations here as well. We had to shut down many wells. Woburn, the city of Woburn, they had these wells that had been contaminated and, uh, the, with, with chemicals. And uh, cluster of that uh, uh, the city, Okay, they had, unfortunately, kids who came down with leukemia. Okay, and we had to shut down those wells. Now the water is fine over there because it's, it's all uh, piped water, okay, from Quabbin going there. Uh, but you know, they went we had a different, many, many episodes where there were uh, the landfills, they contaminated the drinking water supply. And we had at that time, uh, you know, about 20 to 30 communities that were impacted by, uh, by the contamination. Uh, of drinking water supplies that we had to actually shut down and build uh, corrective uh, uh, measures to uh, uh, improve the, the uh, quality of the drinking water. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we started looking into a, like a lead in drinking water, okay, which is now quite a bit talked about. And it was actually started in my home. Just uh, say, somebody said, why don't you take a, a, a sample from your home and we'll send it to Lawrence, Lawrence. Uh, uh, a lab that was the state's lab. It went over there. So guy calls me up. He said, oh, Mr. Boddy, we have a bad news for you. I said, well, what's the matter? He said, your lead level in your, your, your home is so high. It's like a 80 micrograms per liter. Uh, at that time, the standard was 50. Now the standard is five. So 80 micrograms per liter. And uh, so I said to my wife, I said, well, this is going to be your problem to deal with our problem, our home but I have a much bigger problem because I was the director of the state's water supply. So, so we started uh, at that time, I remember meeting with EPA, we started a, a testing throughout the state for lead. So it started over there by me taking a sample. That's a great story. Yeah, you just like, what,
0: what am I drinking in my own house? And then it yeah, turns yeah, out, oh, exactly. I'm, the, I'm the director of the water for the whole state. This is All bad.
1: The state. So we learned from those, uh, those, uh, those experiences.
0: You know, it's amazing because in your career, you've really seen the world transform a great deal just in terms of how people communicate and the role of technology, how it's integrated just into our everyday lives. Um, Do you have any reflections on that of just how you've seen the world change and where you think it might be going?
1: Well, uh, you know, technologically speaking, yes, the world is changing and technology is, is helping. But we have some real challenges now to deal with. And one of my uh, favorite areas is infrastructure. We built a great infrastructure in the United States, but then we uh, forgot its maintenance. And so we don't fix something until it's really broken. And that shouldn't be the way. So keep that in mind infrastructure. The other challenge that we have and our graduates will have is dealing with the uh, climate change. Climate change infrastructures, they are very much interrelated, okay? If you fix one thing, don't, fix, don't think about or fix the other thing, it's going to have an impact. You can build the finest infrastructure, but if the climate is changing, well, it's going to ruin that infrastructure. We have seen plenty of examples of that. Look at the West Coast, what's happening there. Now, some scientists are saying that the West Coast may become uninhabitable. Okay, now that's a very, very drastic uh, uh, vision of the future. So we're going to do, do something there. So the students of today, they will have to deal with climate change. We can't ignore it. We got to build in a way that respects the climate, that respects the environment. We got to build smartly. Uh, we have to uh, also, when we build, we should also have a plan for its maintenance and improvement. Otherwise, things is you know about uh, very simplest thing about infrastructure is if you don't fix it today, it's going to cost you a lot more in the future. Had this example of Longfellow Bridge, its price tag during my time uh, to fix it was about uh, 30, 40 million dollars. They just finished it, completed it. It cost a uh, little over uh, a quarter of a billion dollars. Okay, almost close to half a billion dollars. It is because you delayed it. You keep delaying it. Okay, there are more damage done. Uh, Granted that we also had to think about, you know, the bike path and all that, which is great. Okay, so we got to continuously uh, update and upgrade our infrastructure. Uh, Drinking water. We improved the drinking water facilities in the 80s. We improved the uh, wastewater facilities in the 80s but they need help now. Every so often we say, oh yeah, you know, the, the water quality is going down. No kidding, okay? The Charles River, it used to be an open sewer, okay? In the 40s and 50s. And because they were discharging raw sewage and raw industrial waste, okay? Untreated uh, industrial waste right into the Charles River. Charles River is just one example. Many of the rivers. Some rivers caught fire because they had so much oil. Somebody smoked a cigarette and threw it, and there they caught fire. But then uh, came the Clean Waters Act. Okay, federal uh, government passed this act, and under that, a lot of activity took place in the late 70s, in the 80s. Okay, we built uh, new facilities for uh, waste treatment. Now Charles River, it's beautiful. Every so often you see a little bit of a pollution load, but that comes off with the runoff, and we gotta uh, deal with that. And uh, Massachusetts Water Resources Authority, they've been doing some of the uh, water management. Uh, but now with climate change, they are saying we're gonna have more floods. Okay, what are we gonna do with the extra floods? We didn't design the systems for extra floods, so that's where the the climate change part, climate change infrastructure, they are intertwined. We got to build a resilient infrastructure. We are teaching our, our students, actually the juniors and the seniors, okay, especially um, the uh, the uh, we uh, talking about resilient uh, structure. We are talking about uh, conserving resources. We are talking about the, different types of materials, okay? Where um, we can conserve and and, and and preserve some materials, use the materials efficiently. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, in an odd way, uh, this uh, COVID-19, uh, that has forced us to rethink how we build. Resiliency has become part of it because uh, new viruses in the future that we have to deal with. So there's a new thinking by architects and engineers, how we design the ventilation systems. So we designed normal standard ventilation system. No, we got to think beyond that, okay? Uh, where the air quality is, is, uh, is, is improved and where we can increase the ventilation should we be in another, say, COVID uh, type of uh, uh, virus going around. Uh, so that is forcing us to think. So there are a lot of things going on. And that, that's another thing uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, from my uh, perspective, uh, these experiences, I bring those and I give it to my, my students, okay? So let them know. So this is what is happening. Uh, the uh, resiliency of our bridge, bridges and roadways. Okay? We don't want to see our, our, our roadways that we, you know, build a very fine roadway that it gets submerged under flood. Okay, uh, we gotta think about that, okay? Where's the flood zone? And also uh, we do uh, teach students uh, regarding, you know, uh, certain places we should not build, okay? Everybody loves to be near the water. Everybody loves a home near the water because you got a w- water view and all that. But look at uh, uh, you know, what happened in, in New Jersey, uh, Hurricane Sandy, okay? it devastated the uh, waterfront properties. They were not supposed to build it in the first place, okay? And we learned from that uh, because some of the commercial enterprises, they had their backup systems in their basements. Well, that's the wrong place to put your backup system, okay? That's why a lot of uh, commercial enterprises, they were knocked out completely, knocked out of operation, okay? You build it higher, okay? and some of the uh, the you know we got to uh, learn how to live with mother nature okay and that's another thing that we seldom well I think we are learning about it but in the past we didn't pay attention to it okay just keep building keep building. Well mother nature is going to be very ruthless okay if you don't respect Mother nature, it will affect you okay Absolutely. So so we are teaching those those concepts we'd also, uh, uh, keep students current, uh, ask them to study the, 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 the disasters. I mean, I gave an uh, assignment to my students on the, uh, the, uh, the, that um, uh, surfside condominium complex that collapsed in Florida, okay? There are many lessons that come out of that, okay? So students have to be aware of that, what happened? Why did it happen? Could this been prevented? Okay. So we learn also from failures. And that's not a new strategy i mean it goes way back on to the to the romans i mean they they were so advanced in building arches and and and, and roadways uh not every archway uh that they built uh, it stayed many collapsed but they learned from that okay and then they uh, fine-tuned the art of building arches that's great that's
0: great it's, it's funny because you also mentioned how you know failure is important it's important to Build things, design things, have them not work out, learn from it, you know, and make it better. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wonder if, if can you think of any experiences in your life as a teacher, as a professor, where you tried something in the classroom, didn't quite work out. It was it kind of flopped,
1: and you were like, "Well, you know why?" And then oh you yeah, actually, yeah, oh, uh, yes, yes, yeah, that those are very frequent uh, occurrences. Okay. <laughs> I what I over the years learned, you always you should have a backup. So this thing may not work, okay? Technology sometimes does not work. It's not that the technology is bad. It is because, uh, uh, you know, you may not, you your incompetence may show through, but you got to acknowledge it, laugh about it, and then go through that. And uh, that also, in a way, gives the confidence to the students that it can happen with me. It's not a big deal, okay? Uh, so there's that that. Uh, teaching and learning element to that. Yeah, it has happened. It has happened and doesn't work. I said, okay, I will we'll just use the old fashioned board. Okay, I'll chalkboard and I'll write on it. Okay, that doesn't happen. Uh, it's uh, and uh, sometimes in the labs, you are testing something, okay? The test didn't, uh, you know, come out the way you had uh, intended, uh, you know, say, learn from it. What was wrong? Okay, let's, let's fix that. And I tell the students as well. I said, you know, you're going to be going to public meetings. Remember, if something goes wrong, the test is going to be how you come out of it successfully, okay? And I've been uh, through uh, some situations where you have to make the decision on the spot. Perfect example now comes to my mind. The uh, We are redoing the Mass Ave Bridge, okay? Uh, the MDC, which uh, on the, uh, the Charles River uh, Mass Ave Bridge. And um Um, federal money, state money and all that. So we had to do the opening of that and I was the MC and um, uh, also the MDC commissioner obviously so I had to make sure that everything is fine and I made a visit in the morning so everything would be clear and uh, you know there's no debris, there's no trash, there's no graffiti. Okay, Michael Dukakis he would go nuts about graffiti. If he saw graffiti you are in trouble. Okay, so I went over there and I said to them uh, I said, guys, I said, Brian, who was my manager okay, of the Charles River Basin, I said, uh, make sure there's no graffiti. He said, no commissioner. He said, everything is going to look great. We did that. We, I, you know, walked through there and all that. Okay. So I go over there 15 minutes before the uh, event was going to start and the podium is all set up. The federal highway administrator is there. The uh, some other, you know, like cabinet secretaries are standing there. Josh, to my horror, I saw that there was fresh graffiti on one of the piers, okay, uh, near MIT, okay. I said to the guy, he said, see, somebody just, this is freshly painted. Somebody did that early in the morning, okay. And uh, so Brian, he was very upset he said, uh, uh, Commissioner, we have a sand blaster. We can blast it. I said, no, that's not going to work, because the governor is going to be here shortly. I don't want this to be sand blasting over there. It's like we haven't done our whole job. And so I'm thinking, my thinking. I saw a bright, beautiful pickup truck, okay, that we have just gotten at the MDC. Very nice looking. I said, do me a favor. Take over that truck. whosoever uh, drives this, he says, so and so. I said, yeah, take the keys out of the truck, move it, put it there so that the graffiti is hidden. Okay. He put it right next to the pier and said, put your the, the keys in your pocket so that during the ceremony, he doesn't drive off. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so the governor comes and uh, the governor comes and he looking and say, Ilias, he said, everything looks spectacular here. I said, well, thank you, governor. He said, Wow. And he said, uh, uh, I, and I don't see any 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 graffiti. And I said, Governor, we know how to take care of graffiti. Okay, now I know what's hidden there. Okay. <laughs> the event took place. It happened nicely. And, uh, you know, wow. A few years later, after he was not the governor, but he actually, uh, we invited him to be the keynote speaker. Uh, Wentworth had uh, um, um sponsored this uh, American Schools of Construction's annual convention in Boston. We were the sponsors of that, okay? So invited Michael Lukakis to talk over there and uh, you know, people stood up, they wanna take pictures with Michael Lukakis and all that. I had to introduce him. And uh, so I talked about how the governor was very uh, particular about the environment and this this all good things I said. And I said, but I said, Governor, I do have to make a confession now okay a public confession so I told him the story everybody was laughing okay about the story of the truck okay so the governor uh, uh, comes on on the podium and he looked at me he said uh, you see I should have gone behind that truck I said too late governor now <laughs> <laughs> somebody from 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 Arkansas he comes to me he said I love that story he said I should keep that in mind sometimes things don't look good he said you can Cover them up. I said, well, that, that was my only two left at that time.
0: That's amazing. That's great. I'm glad the governor had a good sense of humor about it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He, said, he laughed about that. He said, he said, well, I should have gone behind that truck. I said, too late. Oh. That's really funny. Um, Ilya, so you're retiring soon. What does that feel like? Well, it's a, it's a different feeling. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you are starting a, a new chapter of your life and, uh, uh, my family is very happy about it. I think, uh, you know, a lot of things that you put off that I'll do it later. I do it later. Now I'll have time to do those things. Of course, uh, I think, uh, I'm going to miss all my colleagues. That's a loss. Okay. But I will come around and, and visit with people and, uh, uh you know, we have built up, uh, friendships and, uh, collegiality. I think especially in the CM department, it has been great uh, to be working with these very eminent and, and uh, very smart uh, colleagues and you know professors. Uh, so that's the part I'm going to miss. And h- how long have you been teaching here at Wentworth? And were you teaching prior? I actually started to teach at Wentworth in 2001 as an adjunct, and I liked it. And then full-time I started in uh, 2006, uh, that wasn't full-time here, that was actually at Roger Williams University. And so my colleagues and friends over here, they said, what happened to you across the border to go over there? And they brought me back They said, we have this position for you, okay? And I was really honored. And uh, so I uh, accepted a full-time position in uh, 2009. So I've been teaching as full-time since 2009. So 2001 through 2009—that's about eight years—and now you're talking about another 12 years, so almost 20 years teaching wow. at, at Wentworth.
0: Do you have any final, uh, you know, recommendations that you'd like to leave us with, or any last? thing i should have asked you or story you'd love to tell anything to
1: well i think uh, it's a very simple not complicated at all it is be inquisitive uh if you have a question ask that question if you are interested pursue it further you will learn a lot share it uh by sharing knowledge you enhance your own knowledge so be inquisitive
0: ilias thank you so much for joining us on the CoLab podcast it's really been a pleasure speaking with you
1: Same here, pleasure, pleasure. Always a joy talking to you, Josh. Thank you for giving me this time. Elias Bhatti is
0: professor of construction management at Wentworth. And I'm Josh Luckins, host of the CoLab podcast, a production of the instructional design team at the Teaching and Learning Collaborative here at the Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us and as always, Stay curious.